It is the 11th of January, Thursday, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Hun j a n g o The former leader of the main opposition Democratic Party, Lee n a g y u n has formally announced his departure from the party in order to form a new party. We'll have the latest in news briefing shortly. Coming up on Weekly Take, our political commentators discuss the tumultuous shakeup among political parties ahead of the general elections and the president's pledge to deregulate redevelopment projects. And on Explore Korea, we head to the MMCA in k w a c h a n to learn about the history of geometric abstraction and its marginalization in the Korean art scene. We have all that and more in today's Korea 24. Former Democratic Party leader Lee Nagyan officially announced on Thursday his departure from the party that he's been with for almost a quarter of a century, and he's leaving it to form a new party. Our KBS World Radio news editor Koo Hee Jin joins us in the studio to bring us the split that was foreshadowed for weeks, as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee Jin, hello. Hello, j a n g o Now, the former DP chief said he will first work closely with a trio of non-mainstream lawmakers from uh, that party who formed a group called Principles and Common Sense. They had left the party a day earlier as well. Mm-hmm. And e is also reportedly in touch with former PPP leader Lee Jun-suk to discuss possibly joining hands. So what can you tell us? Well, e made the announcement at the National Assembly Communication Hall stating he decided to leave the party he was a part of for 20 24 years and embark on a new path. Up new path to serve the country. The, uh, the ex-DP chief said South Korea must change its political structure as he believes that the country cannot prosper without breaking the current two-party duopoly. His announcement comes despite last-ditch efforts by 129 DP lawmakers to dissuade Yi from leaving the party. The lawmakers censured Lee, a former five-term representative, South Chola provincial governor, an inaugural Uh, pr- uh, Prime Minister of the former Moon Jae-in administration for his move after reaping privileges from his party membership. Yes, we're seeing a frantic shuffle on both sides of the political aisle leading up to the April general elections. We'll touch a bit more on that for weekly take later in the show as well. But uh, we'll try to keep track of all the major developments in the weeks to come here on Korea 24 mm-hmm. and news briefing as well. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the results of a public opinion poll released on Thursday showed that President Yoon Sung-yeol's approval rating has fallen slightly. Can you break down the figures for us? Well, according to the National Barometer Survey conducted by Embrain Public, KSTAT Research, Korea Research and Hanguk Research on 1,001 adults 18 and older across the country from January 8th to the 10th, 32% approved of Yoon's handling of state affairs to 61% disapproving. Compared to the survey three weeks ago, positive evaluations decreased by one percentage point, while negative evaluations increased by two percentage points. The telephone survey using a virtual mobile phone number uh, generated a a response rate of 15.8% with a margin of error of plus minus uh, 3.1 percentage points at a 95% confidence level. Turning now to the international arena, the United Nations Security Council took Russia to task for using North Korean missiles in its war against Ukraine on Wednesday. 
However, the condemnation of the attacks over the last two weeks was met with accusations of spreading anti-Russian propaganda by Moscow's UN ambassador. What can you tell us? Well, Seoul's UN ambassador Hwang Jung-kuk lambasted Russia for using the uh, weapons in recent attacks against Ukraine. He asserted that short-range ballistic missiles supplied by the DPRK hit Ukraine on the 30th of December and uh, December 30th, uh, the 2nd and 6th of January. Criticizing the arms trade, Huang also warned that the uh, launches served to benefit Pyongyang while devastating Ukraine, offering the regime potential new opportunities to secure ill-gotten funds. Here's what he had to say. And, the, and as these launches provide valuable technical and military insights to the DPRK, it can be further encouraged to export ballistic missiles to other countries and rake in new revenue to further finance its illegal nuclear and ballistic missile programs. Robert Wood, the U.S. Deputy U.N. Ambassador, lambasted Moscow for attempting to divert attention from its illegal dealings with Pyongyang in violation of UNSC resolutions. However, Russia was quick to reject the accusations with Ambassador Vasily Nebensia claiming that the U.S. was perpetuating false information without evidence. Indeed, and despite the denials, analysts say that cooperation between Pyongyang and Moscow will likely continue, with South Korean Defense Minister Shin Won-shik saying in an interview on Wednesday that new missile systems unveiled by North Korean media may be the next Russia-bound delivery. He expressed concerns that continuing uh, cooperation operation will see uh, technological assistance go the other way, enabling the North to enhance its spy satellite program. Let's shift now to news on the economy. The Bank of Korea on Thursday froze the key interest rate at 3.5%. Once again, its eighth consecutive rate freeze since last February. The central bank attributed its decision to a slowing downward trend in inflation and persistent growth in household debt. Can you elaborate? Well, this, uh, this decision made during this uh, year's first rate-setting session by the BOK's Monetary Policy Board, maintaining the largest ever two-percentage-point gap with the US Federal Reserve rate. Uh, following 10 post-pandemic hikes amounting to three percentage points, through January of 2023, the board has left the rate untouched at 3.5% since last year's uh, f- uh, February session. The BOK apparently took into account, uh, account inflation, which has stayed above 3% for the fifth straight month, as well as persistent growth in household debt. While the BOK and the government expect the economy to expand 21 and 2.2% respectively, local institutes and financial groups forecast uh, growth to come in under 2% for the second year, citing a slowdown in consumption due to high interest and inflation. During a news conference after the rate-setting session, BOK Governor Lee Chang-yong offered a personal outlook. He said a rate cut will not likely be decided for at least another six months. That's where we're going to wrap up our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. Next up, it is our new in-depth segment, Weekly Take. This is where our panel of expert commentators 
pick their top political or social issues of the week and discuss their significance for Koreans today. And we have our usual pair of expert guests joining us on the line. First, we have Law Professor Cho Hee-kyung from Hongik University. Professor Cho, hello. Hello. And we also have Philip Professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hanguk University of Foreign Studies with us as well. Professor Kim, hello to you too. Hello. Yes, I hope you have both had a good start to the year so fast. Uh, let's get into our first topic. First, starting with you, Professor Cho. What issue have you brought for us this week? I brought for you and the listeners the uh, establishment of a new party by the former Conservative Party leader, Lee Jun-sok, which happened what, just over a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he declared that he will be leaving the, uh, the Conservative Party on, I believe it was twenty. 7th of yes. December last year. That's so good. it's actually been, what, exactly two weeks. And he declared that he would set up a new party. And what has been happened, what has happened since then is, in my view, quite a remarkable development in Korean politics in terms of what, who, and how and so that's why I brought this topic for you. If we look at, I guess, the most significant uh, change in terms of how this new party has been set up, mm. since he made this declaration just um, two weeks ago, they actually managed to gather more than 45,000 party members just in over in four days or so uh, since they opened membership online mm. and this has been uh, done solely by online membership application no one had to go uh, knocking on doors and uh, even sometimes what used to happen in the past is uh, politicians using brokers to try to recruit new members to their party but in this case uh, this has essentially been completely voluntarily uh, by people who have applied uh, directly by themselves online and to have so many people join as members in such uh, a short period is, I think, uh, it's something that we hadn't seen before in, mm. in political history in Korea. And so it means that establishing a new party is now much less costly. Uh, we always used to talk about how expensive it is to found a new party to, to start a new one and, and how difficult it is and how time-consuming it, it is. But Lee Jun-sok has essentially shown a new model which has shown to be very effective. Obviously, uh, we come to the who. It, it's led by uh, a, a young leader who is who already has a very high profile, both politically and also generally, because he had um, a... Uh, quite a successful media career before he turned to politics. And so he's media savvy, IT literate. He majored in computer science as an undergraduate. He's also politically very experienced for his age, well, for, for, for anybody's age, but for somebody in his late 30s, he's already had more than a decade's experience at top level of politics. He's strategically intelligent and technically uh, 
quite brilliant, I would say. And it contrasts rather, uh, you know, starkly with uh, already established uh, new parties started up by, you know, um, current politicians such as Kim Pesop or even Yang Yangja. And I think people are also going to look at how Inagyon is going to fare uh, when he's trying to establish his new party. And so Yijun Seok is leading the party and his right-hand man is um, this other young politician called Chon Haram. Mm. And they're both in their 30s. And compared to their essentially political rivals, they are at least a de decade uh, but in many cases, even two or three decades younger. And so this is certainly a generational change that we can really see. And finally, I wanted to talk about what this party represents, because so far, political parties in Korea are essentially just election machines. They are not real policy platforms, which is what a political party really should be. But... Uh, Sok's new party, they call it Reformation New Party. Mm. I think it's kind of um, just a sort of temporary handle, but it might get stuck like that. Anyway, the very po first policy that they announced was about preserving the independence of media. Uh, he declared that uh, you know, their party will support um public broadcasters, especially uh, the heads of public broadcasters being appointed uh, in a much more transparent uh, and fair way and in a way that would actually right. have uh, support from the employees. And initially, people are critical saying, oh, what is that you know, uh, to do with, with, with this? And how, why should that be the, the very first policy that this new party comes up with? But his rationale and explanation was that preserving independence uh, of media is the most important and fundamental thing about having real democratic politics. And I couldn't agree with that more. And I think a lot of people have concern about how media uh, independence has been weakened under President Yoon's administration. And he's also come up with their second policy, which is about education. And that was actually not just about education, but uh, revitalizing uh, regional um, regional centers and and also you know um, it was also a policy regarding low birth rates so it's everything is connected and so uh, looking at their sort of you know kind of line of thinking you really understand that they have a certain kind of philosophy and uh, they've really actually put in some thought about how how to govern uh, the the nation. And so we can see that they're trying to appeal to a broader base of voters mm. and not just to swing voters uh, or middle ground, but also possibly moderate conservatives or progressives. And there is, I think, really big chance that they will be able to uh, essentially form um, some sort of um, cooperation uh, or, or a union with uh, other new parties. And right. so... This is something that, that can be really sort of a strong force in, in Korean politics. Right. So the former PPP leader, Lee Jun-suk, leaving his party last month to form his own party, uh, Kaeyok Shindang, which 
uh, translates to New Reform Party, although I'm not sure if that's the official English name yet. But uh, that is a Professor Charles Pick, and not just the fact that he formed his own party, it's perhaps the new way they're going about uh, forming the party and having a clear policy platform. Uh, Professor Kim, what do you make of Professor Charles Pick? Well, uh, I think it's an important topic, and uh, especially in the sense that around the world, in many democracies, uh, we, um, you know, voters all talk about different choice. Uh, mostly in democracies where two major parties compete against one another, people yearn for a different choice. And especially here in Korea, we do understand very well that uh, Korean people, uh, this is according to the, the skeptics and critics of Korean politics, but according to what they say, Korean people are tired between the fights between two big groups. One is the prosecutors and jurists who use, in the words of skeptics and critics, once again, who use laws as just like a weapon, just like a military juntas in the past to send people to jail, to imprison people that they don't like uh, by using their power of knowledge of law on the one hand. And they, they, these skeptics and critics uh, argue that these people dominate the ruling party, President Yun's party. And on the other side, the former fighters for democracy, people who were active 40 years ago to achieve democracy here in Korea. But the thing is, these former radical students, they're brainwashed, according to the skeptics and critics, with the idea of anti-Americanism, outdated, uh, you know, progressivism, uh, you know, uh, unjustified kind of attachment to the left-wing ideology. Uh, So according to the skeptics and critics, what we see here is that these two parties being dominated by these powerful groups that that they have their own uh, domains, but not really giving real choice to the people. So that's why it really adds a lot of force to the explanation or you know, explanation for the need for different kinds of uh, politicians. Now, the question is, are these the faces that are going to uh, give real choice for other people? I guess on that question, we have also skeptics and critics, and people are arguing, skeptics and critics once again argue that people like Lee Jun-sung, despite his relatively very young age, he's already tainted by the, all these dirty political tricks that has been played out in the field. And he's not innocent, uh, and he has his own liabilities. And uh, same goes to, on the opposite side, people like Yin Nagyang, who has spent so many years uh, in politics and in journalism in mainstream Korean uh, political arena, where he is not at all a figure who we can say is not tainted at all. So uh, do we really have a real choice here or not? That's a big question. And... Uh, I guess a lot of people still wonder about that. Professor Chua, what do you make about perhaps some of the uh, concerns that people might have about uh, Lee Jun-suk and his party, his perhaps past liabilities, such as being labelled an uh, anti-feminist? And also, do you think he really can have an impact, especially uh, for these general elections that are coming up in just three months' time? Well, I don't think we are blind to his faults, uh, along with uh, other politicians who have either established new parties or left uh, existing parties declaring that they are seeking new ways. But 
we have seen what uh, happens when political novices form new parties or essentially uh, become come into power. For example, Anjou Su was very successful in 2016 with his new then new party, but that was very much uh, geographically sort of uh, centered in a specific uh, area. And it didn't really last. And we also see what happens with political novice like uh, President Yoon when someone like that go goes into power. And so we know their faults because they, these politicians have been around uh, for uh, a while. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are actually bad at what they do. In fact, that uh, shows their experience and at least they know how to communicate politically. But what I really wanted to focus on is the manner in which uh, this new party has been formed. For example, when Macron uh, founded his uh, party, the République en marche, that was a new uh, way of doing politics in France. And I think uh, we are certainly seeing a new model mm. of doing politics. My real concern is that this is actually going to make real progressive parties more marginalized in Korean politics. So uh, I think the new party will attract certainly uh, voters from middle ground and maybe moderates, but also I think this is going to mean that the parties like the Justice Party, the Green Party, they may actually shrink even more. And I don't think that's the best development uh, for Korean politics either. Well, we'll see how his party fares uh, in the April elections. Let's move on to Professor Kim's pick now. Professor Kim, uh, what have you chosen for us this week? Okay, my pick, my pick this week is... So up to, uh, up to 10 minutes, Professor. Up to 10 minutes, okay. Right. Uh, my pick this time is the announcement that came out yesterday uh, through the words of President Yoon, particularly about the housing market. And uh, these announcements, to me, uh, raise the possibility of policy being made on the fast lanes with the general election in mind. And I wonder whether these are the policies that are made, uh, you know, produced too quickly without giving full consideration its long-term effect. Uh, so that's what I want to talk about. Mm. And uh, particularly uh, his announcement on deregulating the redevelopment regulations of the apartment housings. And basically what he said yesterday is that instead of having apartment houses going through a safety check, uh, usually under the current system, if apartment houses, old apartment houses, uh, if they are found to be safe for people's living through this sa uh, safety examinations, uh, they they will not be allowed to go through the redevelopment and people will have to continue to live there. Now, he said uh, he's going to get rid of that and make overall, uh, you know, the time that required for redevelopment projects of tearing down old apartment houses and building a new one from taking currently about 10 to 13 years and then cut cut that period by about 30 years or so. So this is an exciting news for those people who are living in this old apartment houses because once they go through the redevelopment projects, the asset price actually jumps big time and they can add, they can expect a big margin in terms of 
the the value that they can expect in this housing. It's a great news for those house owners, but is it really good news for the people in general? I think there will be much disagreement about that, and some of the cautious people observers will say this will cause another kind of overheating of the housing market, and the the this conservative government it may be re overreacting to the housing market that seems to be being cooled. And by introducing measures like this, they could actually uh, take the market back to the overheating status. And then overall asset price appreciation, uh, houses getting uh, you know, uh, more expensive again over time. And this will take uh, away the opportunities for people with lower income to own their houses. So this is uh, totally... Uh, the critics of the argument will say this is a totally for the rich people, and this goes along with the public greed over asset market bubble creation and so on. So uh, that kind of uh, you know criticism is very much possible. Together with yesterday's announcement on the deregulation, uh, President Yoon also talked about uh, you know uh, canceling the plan to impose heavy tax on those people who own multiple houses. Um, currently, the, there's a system that's on hold and uh, in suspension, but is, is supposed to be uh, implemented by the design of the previous government. They will impose heavy tax on those people who have more than three houses or companies that conduct business by renting uh, you know, uh, houses to multiple houses to the people. Uh, this heavy tax uh, plan, uh, President said, will be repealed and will not going to be uh, implemented. The thing is, however, this original plan was introduced by the previous government because they believe, the previous progressive government believed that people with multiple houses, people with large assets, uh, you know, who rich people who owns several, many uh, of the houses are the ones who are actually driving the, the prices of the housing market up. Mm. So therefore, they want to cool it down. And so this is a totally a different kind of uh, perspective here. And is this a good decision? I think, again, once again, uh, those people with lower income, will they be happy with this kind of uh, decision by the current President Yoon? I think it has to be much debated. But concern is right there, thinking whether general election is driving all these kind of policies possibly being made on the fast lanes without giving full consideration for future implications. Right, so Professor Kim has picked uh, his concerns over President Yoon's announcement on Wednesday uh, pledging to uh, allow... uh, pledging to uh, lower regulations on redevelopment and reconstruction also to remove heavy taxes on owners of multiple homes. And Professor Kim has expressed that perhaps these policies have been brought in with the April general elections in mind. Professor Chaw, what's your take on Professor Kim's pick? Well, I thought the president's announcement regarding the tax cuts for the multiple homeowners and also the regulation of redevelopment was yet another evidence of this current administration's poverty of ideas and paucity of vision or philosophy when it really comes to uh, governing the country. I, I think you know, they, President Yoon has recycled many people from the MB 
administration, I mean the former president Im Young-bak, and has appointed uh, key people from MB administration to his administration. And it's like they believe that history would repeat itself. Uh, and we are seeing almost kind of a, a replica of what uh, President Lee successfully used to uh, essentially gain a, a popular support uh, during his administration in, in essentially sort of um, uh, trying to redirect the economy by uh, fueling the construction sector. And right now, the construction sector is, you know, it's a cyclical industry and it's gone past the peak and now it's heading towards trough and we see a number of companies that are actually in quite some difficult financial trouble uh, starting with Payong that we've heard about a lot in in the med- in the news mm. uh, and they somehow hope and believe that they might be able to use this uh, to turn it around and you know fuel economic growth by doing something like this but I think they're very much mistaken and handled uh, not right. There is so much risk associated with this kind of policy at this particular time, and right. we can only see it as populism uh, heading up to the general election in, in April. So, Professor Kim, Professor Chu has similar concerns as yourself, but uh, critics. Uh, supporters of the president uh, might say that the past administration, uh, their handling of the real estate market uh, and their policies ended up raising house prices to uh, unaffordable levels for the general public and therefore something needed to be done. Right. That's a fair argument expected from the other side. The thing is, however, that argument is uh, illogical and mismatched with the, the timeline uh, during the previous government, the real estate uh, market was overheating, and then the government, previous government, reacted to it. Some people, um, a lot of people, believe that it uh, overreacted to it, but it acted against that idea. Now, repealing those kind of actions could, uh, there is a great chance that it could lead to kind of housing bubbles and all that. But more than that, in my mind, What's important here is President Yoon Sang-yeol and the uh, de facto party leader of the PPP, Conservative Party, Han Dong-un, uh, from the beginning of the year, they've been saying they are with the people in the middle. They are with the people uh, who are in need. The thing is, however, this kind of, uh, for example, the, the tax on uh, owners of multiple houses. We just had a statistic showing in Korea, 100 rich people, own 2, uh, 22,000 houses. This is like 100 rich people on average own 226 houses each. This is incredible domination of the market. And if you get rid of this kind of heavy tax on them, they will their business will prosper. And what will they do? They will be interested in raising their prices, rents and everything. And it's obviously a policy that will help these people with large assets. Same thing goes with the deregulation also. The poor people who live in these old housings, many of them may find difficulties in refinancing their housing transitions and they may be left out without houses in this kind of crazy storm of uh, redevelopment of the housing trends. So there's a big concern for the poor people. 
Same point goes to the topic that we discussed last time, the capital gains tax on the stocks. This idea of getting rid of uh, capital gains tax on stocks uh, benefits only 1% of Korean citizens who uh, invest in stock markets. So while president and party leader says they're doing all this for the common people and average people and people in need, actually these policies that they're introducing from the beginning of the year, one by one, seem to be all focusing on benefiting very rich people. And that we have a historical evidence for the past four or five decades. Those kind of policies do not work. And those policies do not produce tickling, uh, you know, trickling down effect. And they should be fully mindful about these kind of historical records that we have had in our recent memories. Well, we'll have to leave it there, but it's been another fascinating pair of topics uh, that we've discussed here on Weekly Take. Uh, Professor Cho, Professor Kim, as always, thank you for your insights, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 1.71 points, or 0.07% on Thursday, to close the day at 2,540.27. The tech-heavy Kosdaq rose, however, gaining 7.07 points, or 0.81%, to close at 882.53. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 7.21 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,312.91. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on to Korea Trending Now, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio now, news editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. It's good to see you too, jang Let's get straight into the first story. What do you have for us? Well, gone are the days of children listing president, scientist, or diplomat as what they like to be when they grow up. In recent years, many young people have started to aspire to become influencers, namely YouTubers. But reality hits hard based on the recent report. Yes, uh, that realm isn't turning out to be as rosy as it initially seemed, especially in recent years. Can you tell us more about this report? Yes, on Wednesday, the Science Ministry, along with the Korea Radio Promotion Association, released their findings on digital media content creators and related businesses. The first official government-approved statistics show the percentage of creators in their 30s or younger has declined drastically. These stats were based on figures compiled between 2022 and 2023 last year. This age group makes up slightly under 65% of all creators, a huge dip compared to over 72% back in 2022. That figure has been declining consistently over the years. Okay, so what's been causing the fallout over the years? I wouldn't be surprised if it's mainly about earnings. Right. It's been slim pickings for many. Based on figures released by DP lawmaker Yang Yong-suk last May, the average annual earnings per creator stood at around $25 million, one or around $1,900 as of 2021. Those in the lower 50% bracket make less than 400000 won per month. That's hardly enough to make ends meet if this is their only full-time job. Right. There have been many people in recent years in Korea who have jokingly said, I'm going to quit my job and become a YouTuber. But uh, this shows how that could have been a very bad idea. It will likely even get more difficult, right? 
Right, the competition is fierce with so much content and so many creators flooding the internet. Also, quite simply, you have to spend money to make money, as in making quality content or something unique that can earn you some solid clout. The government, namely the science ministry, is pushing to devise various new policies and support measures for content creators. Well, I guess because there are so many who are trying to make a living from content creation, the government does need to make sure that they don't fall through the cracks. Uh, some may say it looks easy and fun to make to be a content creator, but uh, clearly the reality is very different. Let's uh, move on to our second story now. What do you have for us? History in the making. For the first time, the AFC Asian Cup football tournament will feature female referees. Yes, I believe five have made the cut. It's pretty remarkable. Can you tell us some more about them? Yes, according to APTN's report on Thursday, they are Kate Yashevich from Australia, uh, Yoshimishi. Yoshimi Yamashita, Naomi Teshirogi, and Makoto Bazono from Japan, and Kim Gyeongmin from South Korea. They're among the 74 elite referees chosen from 18 countries for the Asian Cup, which kicks off on January 12th. Yasevich will be the first to start by roaming the field in the opening match between Lebanon and Qatar. She's even been assigned as a, the video assistant referee or the VAR. Yes, this is slowly but surely becoming more common, right? Female referees in major international events... Yes, it's becoming, it's becoming a common sight. Yes, in football, it took long enough. The first female referee to serve in the World Cup came only in 2022 when Qatar hosted the event. Stephanie Frappard from France was the only rose among the thorns during that time, breaking the wall that had been standing for 92 years since the World Cup's inception. The trend caught on with Rebecca Welsh becoming the first female referee in the English Premier League game last December. Yes, yeah, so look out for these trailblazers at the Asian Cup, which is starting tomorrow already. OK, let's move on to our final story. What else has been trending? A visitor from the U.S. sent a handwritten thank you card to the Tongyang Fire Station in South Gyeongsang Province. Not only that, she even sent a check. Wow, a card and a check. It's, it's been a, quite a while since I've even seen a check. But uh, anyway, uh, what has the fire department done to earn this? So according to the station, they received the card with the message of thanks written in Korean and a check for $300 on Wednesday. They were sent by the family of Emily Grace from Glendale, Arizona, the United States, back on October 5th last year. While Emily and her family were traveling along Somemurto Island, she severely injured her ankle. Yes, I understand that it could have been very serious uh, as the island is located quite far from Tongyang City. So about an hour and a half by boat, apparently, in terms of the distance. Thankfully, the Tongyang Fire Department quickly got to work, dispatching a rescue team via their 706 boat. They swiftly transported Emily back to receive proper medical attention at a hospital in Tongyang. The rescue team left a lasting impression on Emily and her family. Her Korean-American mother wrote the card in Korean to thank the fire and rescue officials and to tell them Emily is doing great. Although Emily's family wanted to treat them to a hearty meal with the check, <laughs> the fire department decided to accept only their gratitude and instead spend the money on a good cause. They made a charitable donation to the Tongyang Community Rehabilitation Center. Well, that's another generous gesture from the fire department and a wonderful gesture from the family as well, especially writing the card in Korean as well. Uh, all that effort just to show uh, how thankful they were. A very heartwarming story to end our segment on today. OK, that's all for Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me.
It's time now for our weekly segment, Explore Korea, where we journey across the peninsula, discovering some of the country's cultural, historical and travel highlights. And our explorer joining us this week is Shin Minnie, culture reporter for the Korea Juang Daily. Minnie, hello and welcome back. It's great to see you again. Hello, Zhang Ho. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you too. It's great to have you back. Uh, last time, you introduced us to Heredium, a repurposed cultural space in Daejeon. And I believe you have another art space for us to discover outside of Seoul. Uh, yes, I do. Today, we're going to travel a bit south of Seoul. Not too far, though. It's Kwacheon, which is in Gyeonggi. And it's personally one of my favorite cities to visit when I just want to escape the bustling crowds and traffic jams in Seoul. Mm. How often do you visit Kwacheon, Zhang Ho? Me, myself? Ah, I think it's been a while since I've been down there. But I know there's definitely lots to do there. There's amusement parks, whole land, whole zoo, right. uh, this whole race park mm-hmm. as well. But uh, you're introducing us to an art museum, right? Right. I like to visit the National Museum of Modern and Contemporary Art there. And since the name is long, I'll call it the MMCA for short. <laughs> uh, the MMCA has four branches, uh, two in Seoul, one in Kwacheon, and another in Cheongju. And I feel like the Kwacheon branch is underestimated compared to the other two in Seoul. Uh, it's, it's, first of all, it's very spacious, both indoors and outdoors, with a large grassy field, and it's full of large-scale installations. Right. I feel like in the spring and summer, people could actually have picnics there, but I'm not sure if they're allowed to, though. Right, like many places <laughs> in Korea, unfortunately, uh, the grass tends to be quite fragile, so mm-hmm. it needs to be protected. So yes, uh, despite the uh, large grassy parks, they, we probably shouldn't have picnics there for yeah. now. Anyway, yes. <laughs> but anyway, the MMCA in Kwacheon is also home to the world-famous video sculpture The More the Better by Nam Jun Pek. It spans over 8 meters tall and consists of over 1,000 analog television monitors. This installation is so famous that probably every Korean student who studied in, Korea- in schools have seen it at least one time in their art textbooks. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it's been on the covers of uh, art textbooks as mm-hmm. well in Korea. It is a landmark work in Korean art history. So is that what we're talking about today then? Actually, no. Nam Jun Peg is for another day. Mm, okay. uh, today we're going to talk about a currently ongoing exhibition at the MMCA in Kwacheon, and it's on the history of Korean geometric abstraction. Uh, but don't worry, the name may sound intimidating, but <laughs> right. it's those kind of paintings that show lines and shapes and primary colors. And just like the name suggests, it focuses on geometric patterns. Mm. Uh, artists like Piet Mondrian and Vasily Kandinsky come to mind as the art style flourished in the Western world during the 20th century. But in Korea, it was sadly shunned. So that's why this exhibition was created, to finally shed some light on geometric abstraction now and to re-explore its significance. Right, so you're saying that in the Western world, geometric abstraction was all the rage, but it was a vastly different situation here in Korea. Why is that? Uh, so see, when we discuss Korean modern art, usually tanzekwa or Korean monochrome paintings take center stage. Mm. Tanzekwa was all about introspecting through repeating the same brushstrokes a countless number of times and finding beauty and restraint. And these were all elements that were valued in Confucianism. On the other hand, geometric abstraction failed to be recognized as a serious art form in Korea, and it was deemed too decorative and without roots in Korea since it usually thrived in the West. But even though Tanzekwa was mainstream throughout the 20th century, art in general still has a role in reflecting society during the time it was made, and geometric abstraction is no exception. It actually did a very good job in doing that. 
Interesting. What do you mean by that? Can you elaborate? What parts of society did uh, geometric abstraction reflect? Well, Chun Yushin, the curator of the exhibition, said that it, re- it represented the rapid urban development that began in full swing in the 1960s, as artists became more interested in geometric patterns in architecture. So they implemented these modernistic and progressive imagery into their paintings. Uh, the, the art form also contributed to transforming the scope of architecture to focus more on the design, as before that, the main priority would be simply on the construction itself up mm. until then. Uh, artists and architects started also working hand-in-hand, hand, and it was a meaningful attempt to give art- architecture artistic value. Uh, there was a collective during that time, uh, it was called the Shin Pa, and it consisted of painters, designers, and architects. And the name translates to Neoformative Group. It was inspired by the Bauhaus movement in Germany, and Shin Pa's goal was to apply geometric designs to industrial products that would help the economy uh, recover post-war. Um, sadly, though, uh, Shin Pa failed to create much of a stir, but their efforts are still worth noting. That is fascinating. So while geometric abstraction was largely shunned in the art scene here in Korea, there was a period when, I guess, some artists tried to push for its prominence, even including in industrial products. Right. But it failed to go mainstream, it seems. So this exhibition is sort of... retrospective, a sort of appreciation on this uh, marginalized artistic movement then in Korea. Right, right. So uh, the exhibition, like you said, it's it's retrospective. It has the works in chronological order from the 1920s, which is when uh, geometric abstraction actually first emerged. Uh, At first, they were on the covers for weekly movie newsletters. And one example would be Uh, blue and red checkered patterns, which elicited a sense of being innovative and futuristic (laughs) at the time. Mm. And a large portion of the 150 works on view were made from popular modern artists that that actually were more focused on Tanzekwa, like Kim Hwangi, Park Sobo, and Yoon Hyunggun. So even though geometric abstraction wasn't quite mainstream, the mainstream artists still acknowledged it in at least one point of their careers. Mm. And in a time where Korean artworks were seen overseas much less than nowadays, a bright yellow painting by Yoon Hyunggun, which was a geometric abstract painting, was exhibited at the 10th Sao Paulo Art Biennial. And that same painting has been unveiled at the MMCA for the very first time. Okay, so that's something special to look out for. I understand that there was one particular historical event that had quite an influence on the Uh, artistic movement in Korea, and you wanted to flag it up for our listeners who might go see this exhibition. Yes, uh, that uh, particular historic event is actually the first ever moon landing that happened in 1969. Mm. Uh, So apparently it was a huge event in Korea too. Did you know? Well, (laughs) I wasn't around then, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) But yes, that sounds about right, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, The three American astronauts who were on Apollo 11, like Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they went on a world tour to meet with presidents. And uh, then President Park Chung-hee gave gave them the Order of Civil civil Merit. Oh, wow. So they really were uh, in Korea. So Mm -hmm. Koreans were showing appreciation for uh, the Apollo 11 team as well then. Mm -hmm. Wow. And this time, uh, Korean society had high hopes that the moon landing would bring about the advent of a space age. And some artists would also reflect that into their artworks. 
Uh, one artist I'd like to introduce is Lee Seung-jo, whose parents, uh, pa- sorry, paintings <laughs> largely depict metal pipes that he refers to as his nucleus series. And they were about the rapid industrialization of Korean society in the mid to late 20th century. Uh, to quote Lee in a past interview from that time, uh, quote, I was newly awakened to the spaces within the universe by the launch of Apollo 11. I feel that it is the most appropriate means to express the times I live in as an artist, end quote. And other artists like Apyeon Yongwon would also draw oil paintings full of an assortment of circles, which he likened to particles. And these represented the artist's support of the atomic age. Well, it really does sound like a fascinating window into history, even this exhibition, particularly uh, at a time when there was such dramatic changes in the world and in Korea as well. This sounds like a great exhibition really to check out. Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts for any listeners who might be interested in going? Yes, uh, I'd like to uh, quote Curator Chun on this one. Uh, She said, quote, It was truly a time in which we could see new and innovative designs, and it's meaningful because the public can finally admire a once-shunned art form in Korea, end quote. Uh, So I definitely recommend because, uh, like the curator said, before this exhibition, I don't think many people knew about uh, geometric abstraction in Korea. Mm. So this uh, MMC exhibition definitely uh, gives people, more people, the opportunity to learn more about it. And it's also, uh, uh, you should definitely go because the MMC has great exhibitions and this is definitely one of them. And it's not often you get to learn more about uh, Korea's version of Kandinsky or Mondrian. Right, interesting, yes. Yes, and this exhibition, there's still tons of time left. It continues until May 19th. So, and the t- tickets are cheap too. It's only 2001 or $1.50 for adults. Mm. Uh, and even after the show ends, the MMCA did tease that it would continue shedding light on art forms that have been unrecognized for decades. And there's an exhibition on Korean figurative art from the 1960s to 70s that follows right after. So I would say that these exhibitions are a surefire way to learn more that there's more to Korean art than just Tansekwa. Indeed, and we really appreciate you introducing us uh, to this part of the Korean art history as well. Perhaps you can help us uh, further down the line when these exhibitions uh, happen as well. You can further be our guide into that world as well. Uh, We've got some pictures and photos on our Instagram page for our listeners who want to uh, see what these uh, artworks are like. That's on our Instagram, kbs underscore career 24 for anyone who's more curious. Uh, but we certainly recommend everyone to check out the museum as well, MMCA Kwachan, and see the exhibition for themselves. Okay, that's where we're going to leave it for our Explore Korea this week. Minhee, thank you for introducing us uh, uh, for that recommendation, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you for having me. This is pianist Son Yegwan. You're now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio.
We've now come to Morning Edition Preview, our closing segment, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Career Times and the Career Herald. And for that today, we don't have Richard. He's taking uh, a day off. So we have Emma Sparks filling in today. Emma, it's great to see you again. It's good to see you. Hello. Hello. Yes, welcome back. Okay, so what's the first article that you have for us today? Uh, The first article I have for you is for travel enthusiasts. Reporter Yi Shijin of the Korea Herald introduces us to two regional locations that explode with popularity in the winter, Pocheon and Hwacheon. Right, so Pocheon and Hwacheon. Pocheon, uh, just northeast of Seoul in uh, Gyeonggi province, and then Hwacheon in Gangwon province, a bit further northeast of uh, Pocheon as well. So what is it that draws visitors to these locations every winter? Uh, These two places may not be big names when it comes to travel the rest of the year, but they pull excited tourists from all over the country with their fun ice-filled activities come winter. Mm. Starting with Pocheon, Lee describes the vibrant scenes on the frozen Sanjong Lake, which draws 2 million tourists every snowy season. At Sanjong Lake Sleigh Festival, visitors can take it in turns riding a tricycle, pulling their counterparts behind them on bright yellow sleds shaped like rubber ducks. Every year, Instagram is filled with images of these iconic sleds. Indeed, and it is the perfect time right now because it is the holiday season here in Korea. And there are other activities that can be enjoyed at the festival as well, right? Yes. For those looking for a more traditional experience, there is a circular area at the centre of the lake which allows visitors to test out vintage Korean-style sleds. So to use these, you steer yourself across the ice using sticks with spikes at the end. And for interested parties, all of these winter vehicles can be rented for 30 minutes, with prices ranging from 6,000 to 15,000 won. Okay, so that was Pocheon. What about Hwacheon? Uh, Hwacheon Sanchono Ice Festival draws tourists looking for the opportunity to catch Sanchono, a type of trout, by ice fishing or, for the very brave, getting into a pool and trying out barehanded fishing. <laughs> wow. Um, if you are not interested in fishing, though, the ice festival also offers a range of activities, including ice football, curling and sledding. Visitors can buy tickets on site or via Interpark. Certainly sounds like fun. You can find out more once again in tomorrow's Career Herald. Let's move on to our second story. What do you have for us? Our second story is from the Korea Times uh, writer Kwon Miyu, who introduces us to Oh Hyunji, a Korean musician bridging the gap between traditional Korean music known as Kugak and the traditional, uh, the less traditional world-dominating K-pop. Sure, okay. Uh, that sounds fascinating. How does she do that? This talented young woman, known online as Yagum Yagum, uses the Kayagum, a traditional Korean zither, to cover iconic K-pop hits such as Idol by BTS and I Am by IVE. Her covers have garnered a huge following and she has amassed 694,000 followers on TikTok and 313,000 on YouTube with her innovative musical videos. Collectively, she has received over 100 million views. That is very impressive indeed, in fact. It is. She clearly has a significant passion and talent for blending different genres. Mm. She has even covered soundtracks from games and animations, and oh, even plays the traditional 12-string and the more modern 25-string variants of the Gaiagum, including scales in her videos which allows for Gaiagum hobbyists to follow along. 
And thanks to her passion for blending the traditional with the modern, she's attracted viewers from around the world, particularly on TikTok, which she said has brought her the most international followers. In the article, she even recalls a trip she took to the UK, which saw her performing at London's Wembley Stadium in celebration of relations between Korea and the United Kingdom. Wow, that does sound amazing, what she's been doing. To find out more about her, check out tomorrow's Korea Times. OK, that's where we're going to wrap it up for Morning Edition Preview. Emma, thank you for bringing us those stories, and we'll see you next time. That's where we wrap up our show. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon Jang-ho helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with Global Audiobook, Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in! KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in case of high levels of fine dust. Before going outside, check the air quality by visiting online resources or checking your local weather forecast. When the level of fine dust is high, avoid outdoor activities such as hiking, biking or field sports. Wear protective gear such as masks, glasses and hats. Close your windows, doors and dry your laundry inside. Wash your face often and make sure to also blow your nose regularly. If you have to leave your home, try to use public transportation in order to reduce air pollution. Take a shower after returning home to avoid skin irritation and rinse your sinuses if possible. Before preparing food, wash your hands and make sure to wash fruit and vegetables thoroughly before eating them. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures.
KBS World Radio.